0: so what happens when a clinician is stuck the short answer the clinicians need more information more data in dermatology in addition to the tools of taking a good history and performing a thorough examination one of the principal investigations is the skin biopsy this enables histopathological investigation it can tell us about the etiology of a problem for example if we're dealing with a malignancy or something inflammatory or infective, all disease processes with vastly different ways of management. In fact, without the information we obtain from skin biopsies, much of the practice of dermatology would be based on educated guesses. Hi, I'm Associate Professor Alvin Chong, and welcome spotters to Spot Diagnosis, a podcast about all things dermatological, brought to you by the Skin Health Institute in Melbourne, Australia. I am a specialist dermatologist at the Institute, and your co-host.
1: And I'm Dr. Lakshmi Ayinka, Education and Research Fellow at the Skin Health Institute. And as you may have guessed today, our podcast is about histopathology of the skin, also known as dermatopathology.
0: I am delighted to introduce our special guest today, Dr. Saurabh Prakash. Saurabh is a consultant dermatopathologist and director of histopathology at Melbourne Pathology. He has also held specialist appointments in demetopathology at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and at Western Health. Sarab is my go-to person on all things dermatopathological, and we have worked together to diagnose countless cases over the years. Sarab, it is great to have you here, and I thank you for
2: your time. Hi, Lakshmi and Alvin. Thank you so much for asking me to be on the podcast today. I am really excited to discuss a topic near and dear to me.
1: I am very much looking forward to learning more about dermatopathology and ask you many of the questions that have intrigued me for years. So now is my opportunity. I might start by directing some questions to you, Sareh. Firstly, what is a dermatopathologist? What excites you about dermatopathology? And what do you do in dampath that is different from normal path?
2: Lakshmi, great question. A dermatopathologist is a medically trained specialist anatomical pathologist who has additional expertise or experience in skin pathology. We examine skin biopsies under a microscope, come up with a diagnosis and send a written report to clinicians such as Alvin and other referring doctors. Our focus is generally on skin pathology. This can be in terms of routine reporting of skin biopsies, teaching and research. Your question about what excites me about DermPath, well, it will take me a long time, but to keep it short, I think I enjoy the subject matter. I enjoy the close relations I have with lab staff and colleagues and also aim to benefit patients and referrers. I enjoy working with clinicians such as Alvin, other dermatologists, plastic surgeons and GPs, all of whom share an interest in the area. There's always plenty of work with the abundant UV in Australia as well, so that's another benefit.
1: Before I dive right in, I'd like to start from the very basic, Saurabh. What is a skin biopsy?
2: A skin biopsy is a sample of skin, usually obtained by a doctor or a nurse, sent to the lab for processing and interpretation by a pathologist under a microscope.
0: And I might just add, it is more than just a a flake of skin or a bit of crust, which is sometimes what my patients bring in, uh, hoping that it could be sent off for testing. Now, I tell my patients that this biopsy actually needs to be cut out of skin and requires local anesthetic to obtain.
1: What are the different types of skin biopsies?
2: Lakshmi, there are... A few types of biopsies we receive in the lab. This can include a punch biopsy, a shave biopsy, curettes, incisional biopsies. The type of biopsy is determined by Alvin's clinical differential and what he thinks the diagnosis is. We may also receive fresh tissue for microbiology, flow cytometry and other tests, depending on which lab you're using. For tumours, we can diagnose things from all sorts of specimens and also rashes and inflammatory dermatoses as well.
1: Alvin, I'd like to direct this question to you. Why perform a skin biopsy?
0: Another good question. Look, uh, I, I'm very lucky that I work in one of the great clinical specialties. You know, for dermatology, the organ affected by disease is visible and right in front of you. In fact, with a good history and examination, uh, an experienced dermatologist should be able to make the diagnosis clinically. So it's just approximately up to 70% of cases. But we will perform biopsies to confirm the diagnosis. For example, before you excise a large hyperkeratotic lesion, which looks like an SEC from a patient's nose, and put a skin graft on it, you wanna make sure it is not a benign separate keratosis. Other times, you can't tell what something is because a lot of rashes can look alike. For example, that odd polycyclic rash could be tinea or lichen planus or unusual eczema. And a skin biopsy can add more data and help make the diagnosis. I find, however, that if I have no idea about what something is, then often the skin biopsies may not be that helpful either.
1: Saurabh, is clinical history of the lesion important and relevant to a dermatopathologist when assessing a skin biopsy specimen?
2: Definitely, Lakshmi. A clinical history is vital for us when interpreting skin biopsies, particularly in some situations such as inflammatory dermatoses, rashes, and also some tumours, in particular, pigmented lesions. The clinical history gives us a context in which to interpret the biopsy. We are only looking at a small piece of a patient, whereas the referring doctor has the entire clinical background in front of them, and that information is really helpful for us when looking at things in the lab. Clinical images can also help. A picture often tells a thousand words. And the last thing is that we really want to make sure in the lab that we are looking at the same lesion or abnormality that a clinician is seeing in front of them.
1: Alvin, if a patient develops a nodule, what type of biopsy is done?
0: If a patient has a nodule, which is like a, a, a lump, a raised lump in the skin, I prefer a punch biopsy in order to get some idea of the depth. That's if I do a partial biopsy. And it's preferable to shave biopsies because sometimes shaves can be so superficial that it completely misses the deeper part of the lesion and hence you miss where the pathology is. But the other type of biopsy that can be done, particularly if there's a concern that a nodule is due to malignancy, is an excisional biopsy.
1: Now I'd like to discuss a common scenario that most of us who do skin examinations are confronted with. We do a full skin examination and we see a pigmented lesion. That is suspicious for a melanoma. What is the most appropriate type of biopsy and why?
2: Lakshmi, we usually prefer an excisional biopsy. This can be either an elliptical excision, a shave excision or a punch excision, but we definitely do understand in the lab that this is not always possible. Examining the entire lesion under a microscope allows us to assess tumour architecture and atypia, and we can be certain that we've examined the entire lesion that a clinician is seeing in the rooms.
0: I agree with you, Sorab. According to the current NHMRC guidelines, an excisional biopsy with a narrow two-millimeter margin is the investigation of choice when choosing to investigate a pigmented lesion that might be a melanoma. But there may be some caveats though. For example, if the lesion is in a cosmetically sensitive area, such as the face, or if it is large, or in a difficult to reconstruct area, In these cases, it may be reasonable to perform multiple partial biopsies, for example, multiple shaves or multiple punches, keeping in mind that a false negative may still be an issue. Or consider referring to a specialist for an assessment.
1: Following on from above, what problems can we get if we do a punch biopsy on a pigmented lesion?
2: The main problem with punch biopsies in this setting is undersampling of a lesion. There is a significant rate of misdiagnosis and melanoma upgrading on a subsequent excision if you compare with a punch biopsy. Understaging of a Breslow thickness of a melanoma, or even a missed melanoma, can lead to suboptimal patient treatment, which is something we want to avoid. Yeah, my main
0: concern is a false negative. A melanoma is not uniformly a melanoma. It may only have one area of invasive melanoma within an area of dysplasia or even normal nevi. So the rest may be Benign appearing. So if you get the wrong bit, and that's the bit that the pathologist samples, and it's called benign, then potentially you've misdiagnosed a melanoma with potentially life-threatening consequences.
1: That brings us to our first skin tip. The investigation of choice for a pigmented lesion suspicious for a melanoma is an excisional biopsy. Now let's say a patient presents with a rash. And we need to take a diagnostic biopsy to work it out. What do you normally do, Alvin? Well,
0: first, I try to get a clinical differential diagnosis in. I look at the rash and have in my mind what the possibilities are. There's no point um, telling the pathologist that the patient just has a red rash. If I have a few differential diagnoses based on the clinical scenarios, often the pathologist finds it more helpful, for example... You know, is this uh, a flare of psor- guttate psoriasis, or is it a um, suspicious for cutaneous T-cell lymphoma? And then secondly, I take at least two biopsies. I think one is often not that helpful, and you can accidentally biopsy a lesion on the skin, for example, a seborrheic keratosis, uh, and then you get a diagnosis of an inflamed seborrheic keratosis. Third, go for the most characteristic lesion. And sometimes you can do biopsies of lesions in different stages of development. So, an early lesion uh, or later lesion. And then there are sometimes special biopsies we do for direct immunofluorescence. For example, if you have a blistering disease or vasculitis or connective tissue diseases, we take fresh pieces of skin and send it off in normal saline for direct immunofluorescence. And then lastly, suture the biopsy site, because nothing is worse than rashes, which are inflammatory clearing, leaving only unsightly scars where biopsies have been done.
2: I agree with Alvin's first two points about a clinical differential. The more information you provide the pathologist means we have more clues to interpret the biopsy, and the aim is to give a useful diagnosis, something that benefits patients and clinicians. I definitely try to be as specific as I can with diagnoses, so the more information you give me, the more I can give you back. This needs careful consideration of clinical information, the clinical differential, past medical history, and integrate it with histologic findings. Additional investigations may occur in the lab. We may do special tests, get second opinions, and there are other tests that may happen in other departments, such as microbiology and flow cytometry, for example.
1: Saurabh, following from that, what size biopsy is ideal?
2: For a rash, a three or four mm punch is ideal. I like doing three mm punch biopsies and uh, I suture.
0: Ever wondered what the Skin Health Institute does? At the Skin Health Institute based in Melbourne, we aim to improve skin health for all our patients and the research we conduct shapes clinical treatment and practice. We provide over 30,000 patient treatments each year and also deliver exceptional education programs for dermatologists, registrars and healthcare workers. We provide specialist training for visiting international medical graduates, workshops to upskill GPs and medical students, and public education programs aimed at improving skin health in the community. The Institute also conducts clinical trials and research projects that are published and presented internationally. We make substantial contributions to the worldwide clinical care and management of skin diseases, skin cancer, and melanoma, and are recognised globally for our medical research. We have multiple clinics for GPs to directly refer patients to. GPs can complete our online referral form available on our website at skinhealthinstitute.org.au/patient-referrals or email referrals to referrals at skinhealthinstitute.org.au.
1: Now another scenario. A patient presents with a widespread blistering rash with tense blisters on the trunk and limbs. What type of biopsies do you do, Alvin?
0: All right, I'm assuming that in this scenario you have an elderly patient with tense blisters. So most likely we're looking at a clinical scenario of an immunobullous disease such as Bullus pemphigoid, and I'll put that into the request slip. I will take two biopsies. One is a three-millimeter punch biopsy from the edge of the blister, and that goes into formalin for histopathology. The other biopsy, also three millimeters, will be taken on perilesional skin, so skin that is not directly affected by the blister but next to it, and that goes into saline-soaked gauze for direct immunofluorescence.
1: Sarah, can you please explain how these are different?
2: Both of the biopsies Alvin talks about are required. A formal and fixed biopsy is essential for routine histology and to make a diagnosis. A fresh perilesional biopsy is required for immunofluorescence to identify the presence of antigens or abnormal proteins in the skin that can deposit in a variety of blistering disorders.
1: And that brings us to our next skin tip. For rashes consider doing multiple biopsies. Now, what about ulcers? Another scenario frequently encountered in day-to-day practice. If we had to perform a biopsy to work out if a leg ulcer is infective, inflammatory or neoplastic, what type of biopsies would you suggest?
0: So ideally, uh, an incisional biopsy, including the ulcer edge, can be sent off. But I find it difficult to close these wounds, particularly on ulcers. But the alternative, and something that I often do, are multiple punch biopsies. They can be taken around the ulcer edge, so it can be sent off for histology. Or if I'm thinking about an infective etiology, then I can send off fresh specimens in Ceylon soaked gauze for microbiological analysis. And this includes deep fungal culture, mycobacterial culture, and bacterial culture, or PCR. I
2: agree completely with Alvin. Biopsying the edge of an ulcer is probably the most useful technique. If you biopsy from the middle of an ulcer, you often end up with inflammatory material and fibrin and material that does not really help us make a useful diagnosis in the lab. It is also important to send fresh tissue for microbiology. This can include culture and PCR. I do know my colleagues in microbiology like a lot of tissues. If There are multiple organisms. It's best to send multiple samples, so fungi, bacteria, and mycobacteria. Just
0: following on from that, you can actually send swabs for uh, Mycobacterium ulcerans PCR. Um, In fact, uh, Professor Paul Johnson um, spoke about this in in a previous podcast, so for those who are interested, you can listen to that.
1: What if we have the scenario where the lesion is clinically highly suspicious for a squamous cell carcinoma, for example, but the biopsy suggests otherwise. Would you recommend rebiopsy or surgical excision of the lesion? Saurabh, I'd like to start with your thoughts.
2: Lakshmi, I think re-biopsy would be warranted. It also depends entirely on the clinical situation, where the lesion is, what the patient thinks, what the doctor thinks. I- excising the lesion completely is probably the best thing. However, I understand this may not always be practical.
0: Yeah, again, it depends on the clinical scenario. I think what we sometimes get faced with is lesions that uh, if some someone has something which is indurated and tender in a high-risk patient, where it really looks like a, a, an invasive squamous cell carcinoma, I wouldn't bother rebarpsing If it's feasible to just excise it, then I would. But if it's in a cosmetically sensitive area, for example, you know, in the middle of the face, then, then repeating the biopsy would be probably wiser.
1: So should we orientate excision specimens? Yes, it's
2: okay to orientate these specimens, particularly if a tumour is being excised and if detailed information is required regarding margins. If a specimen is oriented, we can give more detail about which margins are involved, if any, and also discuss which margins may need to be re-excised.
0: And I'll just add to that. I tend to orientate the surgical excision specimens if they come from a patient's face where, you know, if they say, oh, the, you've got a BCC which involves the 3 o'clock margin, then we just need to remove uh, additional tissue from that side rather than the entire margin of the wound. So it just, it just allows you to finesse things a little bit better.
1: What is the relevance of histopathological margins and why are they important?
2: Margins are important as the aim or the intent of of the procedure is to remove the tumour from a patient. Different tumours have different requirements for margins. One problem in the lab is the distinction between clinical and histologic margins. Clinical guidelines such as the Cancer Council of Australia refer to clinical margins whereas what I'm doing in the lab refers only to histologic margins. There may be a difference in clinical and histologic margins due to ex vivo shrinkage and also processing artefacts that happen in the lab.
0: And this brings us to the next skin tip. For ulcers, consider doing multiple biopsies, some from the edge of the ulcer for histopathological analysis and others that can be off for microbiological analysis.
1: Now I'd like to pick both of your brains for some general tips for doctors doing biopsies. Alvin, I might start with your recommendations.
0: Right. Some of you who have worked with me would know that I like to photograph things. So I photograph everything I biopsy. And I actually take a series of three photographs. The first is at some distance, so you know which part of the body I'm biopsying Then secondly is, uh, well, two more photos really to show the close-ups so we can orientate things a bit better. I like to suture punch biopsies because I believe that uh, when you suture it, you get a much better cosmetic result. You get a smaller wound, you get better hemostasis, and I can review the patient, remove the sutures as you give the results. I usually perform biopsies with a nurse. We have the system where we actually see the biopsy specimen going into the bottle and the nurse confirms that it is actually in the bottle. That way you don't get the terrible situation of a pathology specimen showing up with uh, nothing in a formalin jar. And finally, punch biopsies are easier than shave biopsies for beginners. If in doubt, do multiple punch biopsies of the same lesion to avoid sampling error.
1: And Saurabh, any further pearls of wisdom regarding biopsies for our listeners?
2: I think detailed clinical notes are really helpful especially for inflammatory dermatoses, so a clinical differential such as what Alvin mentioned earlier. For tumours, things like any change in the tumour that's happened recently, any recent growth in a tumour, significant past history would also be very helpful. All this helps us interpret the biopsy in the lab. A targeted clinical differential is also very helpful for us. The final thing, I think, would be to be contactable. I often like having a chat with clinicians about interesting cases, if a problem arises or in the situation of a difficult diagnostic problem.
1: An extra question that came to mind, how does the dermatopathologist decide to commit whether a lesion is a moderate to severely dysplastic nevus or a melanoma in situ?
2: With great difficulty, Lakshmi, the differential between a severely dysplastic nevus and in situ melanoma is very subjective. It depends on the clinical appearances, patient age, also on the interpretation of the pathologist. The site of the lesion is important, degree of sun damage, and if we are given the demoscopy or the description of the demoscopy, that will also have some impact. In difficult cases, we will get extra levels, seek opinions from colleagues, or even external opinions from outside labs. In some cases, we'll do additional specialised tests such as immunostains. And some molecular testing as well can help.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sharab. And that actually brings us to the end of this special episode on the metapathology. I want to thank uh, Dr. Surab Prakash from Melbourne Pathology for giving up his time and expertise. And uh, let me also just say how much I admire. Uh, what you do, Saurabh, because, you know, we have the whole skin to look at and you have a tiny little piece of skin, two millimetres in diameter, and you work out what's happening. So it takes incredible uh, skill
1: to actually do what you do.
0: So thank you.
2: Thank you, Alvin. I've enjoyed being here and having our discussion today.
1: Thanks, Saurabh. I would also like to thank the education team at the Skin Health Institute and Balloon Tree Productions. Remember, these podcasts are not meant to replace medical advice. If you have a skin condition that requires attention, we strongly encourage you to see your medical practitioner. For listeners who want more information on this subject, a transcript of this episode and links to other resources can be found on our website, spotdiagnosis.org.au. Please share Spot Diagnosis with your friends and colleagues. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We would really appreciate your feedback and any suggestions. A quick reminder for our GP listeners. Spot Diagnosis has been accredited with RACGP and ACRAM. All you need to do is subscribe to the podcast, listen to all the episodes, and fill in a brief evaluation and reflection form on spotdiagnosis.org.au. That's spotdiagnosis.org.au. Thank you for listening. The Skin Health Institute would like to thank our exclusive institute partner, Melbourne Pathology, for their support of the Spot Diagnosis podcast.